a best-selling author three times over, an international business success, a serial entrepreneur who has started 40 of his own businesses and consulted or co-founded hundreds of others on an international basis. He's about to tell you how he found himself in the fetal position, not knowing what to do. Not once, twice. Those stories coming up, it's a lot of grit, and it's next with Les McCown on A Dash of Grit. This is A Dash of Grit, recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things. Now, podcasting from Spire to leaders in local communities like yours, here is Brian Leflock. And let's get cooking. Our guest today is a true entrepreneur. When I say that, I don't mean in the sense that you might think. And we've had folks that have started a business, maybe folks that have started one or two. But Les McCown is my guest today. He started on his own 40 very successful, I assume 40 successful businesses and, and, and maybe even a couple of false starts along the way. He's also created an incubator system that he was a, a co-founder of that that has consulted and provided for thousands or at least hundreds of international business and, and startups for those businesses. And so great success that he's offered for those. He's an author. He is a coach. He is a keynote speaker. Uh, he serves Fortune 500 companies. He is the definition of success for me. In his current role, he's the founder and president of Predictable Success. And he'll talk a little bit about that too. Again, another way for him to bestow his knowledge and help and expertise towards entrepreneurs like us and those of us that are trying to start businesses and keep them running strong. So I am really excited today to talk with Les McCown of Predictable Success. He's our guest on Dash of Grit. Thank you, Les, for being a part of our show. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be here. Hi, everybody. And everybody says hi back to you. So I'm, I'm thrilled to talk with you because I know you've done it. And, and I know we won't get to all of the things that you've done. But if you would, we talk to successful people. Les, tell me before we get into the grit, what does success mean to you? Brag a little bit about where you are, where predictable success is, what you find successful in your life. Tell us a little bit about what the good life is and how things are going for you right now. I lived in Washington, D.C. for the last six years. I've, I've been in the States for 20 years, but my accent has decided not to relocate. I'm originally from Ireland. Um, but I lived in D.C. the most uh, recent uh, slot, six years, and I got a weekend place in Chesapeake Bay in Maryland uh, about three years ago. started coming up here just at weekends. And <clears throat> whenever the COVID crisis hit and the lockdowns began to come down, I was here at my weekend place. And the longer I was here, the less attraction going back to D.C. had. And uh, so literally this week, uh, happiness for me is... My furniture arrives uh, day after tomorrow. Uh, I've leased out some additional space here. I'm looking out at six acres of beautiful rolling parklands. And right behind me, about a 90-second walk away is the beach, uh, Chesapeake Bay. Uh, it's just a beautiful part of the world. And so uh, I'm here. I work with the executive team, C-suite, of uh, businesses of all sizes, you know, 2 million to about 2 billion. Um, helping them through uh, what I call whitewater. It's a stage of growth whenever things were fun and now they're not. They, that's what they I They will be again. And I'm interested. So I, when I read your bio and you talk about what you've done, the, the 40 companies you started on your own, the incubator for hundreds of international companies, the author, the coach, the predictable success. When someone thinks of you, what are you most proud of? What would you consider your biggest success? Is it that the businesses you started on your own, the consultancy, the coaching, the helping the others, what are you most proud of as what you've accomplished? 
If I could just swap the word out, uh, Brian, and say the thing that gives me most satisfaction, uh, if I can put it that way, is, is not actually something I can be proud of because I didn't make it happen, which is why I'm backing away from the word. So uh, what I'm really, really delighted about is that without me really making it so, everything I have done has added up to this stage in my life and my career where you know, if you'll just forgive the self-aggrandizement, you know, I have a mastery of what I do. Uh, I know it intimately. I'm probably in the very, very specific area that I work in. I'm as good at it as anybody out there. And the reason is that all of the bits of my past life from, you know, when I was a kid through, you know, my first job, through my serial entrepreneurship, through the, through the period when I built the incubation units that you talked about, it all added up to one thing. So that's made me really, really happy. And that's the model I teach, the predictable success model. And like I say, I didn't, I didn't start out with that aim, but it just so happens. And I'm, I'm 64 as we're recording this on Friday, three days from now. And I feel like I'm doing something that is the sum of everything I went before. And that makes me very happy. And so, and so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. It's you're, you're coming up on, on 64. Happy birthday. If I forget to say before we leave, Thank you. Um, but the, <laughs> at, at, at some point there was a start and there was a dream and now there's reality. And along the way, there were struggles. This podcast, this thing that we do here is, is about the struggles. It's about the grit that you showed. Can you pin back to certain points in that lifetime? And it's been a long series, but can you pin back to some times when you just were worried about those dreams coming true? The next step just wasn't looking clear enough and that you really had to show some grit. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? You know, it would have been much easier, Brian, if you'd asked me if I could talk about the times when everything was wonderful because there are much fewer and the choice is less. Yeah. I, could, I could share so many incidents, but two are really stand out. They were both times when I literally ended up in the fetal position. And I don't mean that metaphorically. Two occasions when I literally ended up curled up on the ground and, you know, Point me disguising it. I mean, in both cases, I was just a wreck. I was crying and sobbing. It was existential both mm -hmm. times. And the first one was uh, about 2003. And I had moved here, had been in the US for about four years. And part of the reason that I had moved was to finish chasing something that I thought I was seeing by, in terms of growth patterns for organizations. And I had an opportunity to go work with some very large organizations to prove out this model that would become the predictable success model. I hadn't yet completely codified it, but I needed to pay the bills while I was doing all of this. And so I had got a really good reputation amongst the HR community in helping build mentoring programs, coaching programs, onboarding programs employee engagement programs, and I had this fantastic database of about 35,000 people. This was in the early, early days. Mm -hmm. Electronic databases, database marketing. I had a superb database of 35,000 HR practitioners, all with budgets, okay. all hiring me. And that was how I was paying the bills. I would, you know, somebody from Siemens would call me and I'd go work with them to build a mentoring program. And I was getting really well paid. Back then, I had a bit of a fixation about uh, computers and servers and hardware, and I was really into all of this stuff. 
and I had a host uh, uh, where everything was, my website, my database, the whole lot. And I logged in one morning and there was nothing there. It wasn't a 404 page. It wasn't, uh, it was just, it was nothing. Including there. your 35,000 names? Oh, Lord. Everything. But I very cleverly, and I, and I called the company. Back then, you could actually call and speak to somebody. It was such a dedicated host that I spoke to the CEO. And they had corrupted not just uh, my site information, but everything on one server, on one stack. So there was, I don't know, 16, 20 businesses all in the same state. And so they were in sheer panic. But I, being a genius, of course, had a my concern was this database because it was what was making me money. And I had a big concern that I couldn't make money. This is, But I was clever and I'd kept my own backup. Okay. So I, the only way they could get it back up on the server was if I actually mailed them a CD, actually a DVD that was burned with it. I, we couldn't do a file transfer as big as that back in yeah. the day. So I had to wait days and I mailed it to them. In the meantime, it's just crickets. I, I don't know where to turn. And they then overwrote my backup with a corrupted file. Was that backup the only one you had? You sent them the file that you had and trusted that they would take everything you'd built so far and do the right thing. Wow. Yeah. Because I'd been backing uh, down into what was uh, called, it was uh, it was called a zip file, but not the it's not an electronic thing. This was a piece of plastic about this size, right? There's a square zip file you put in okay. a box. And it backed down into that. And that was where this backup was. And I didn't have the time to take that and back it. I don't, I don't think I probably even had the data size. I didn't have a hard disk big enough to put a third copy on this. I just mailed them you just my sent one backup. And they overwrote it with the corrupted one. They did, their, they did the restore their own. Now, before you go further, Les, can I interrupt you? At that point, now you found out that your only copy of everything you've built so far has been overwritten and corrupted in the hands of people that you thought could handle it. And now you're sitting with virtually no backup and you've lost everything. I'm, I'm interested in what's your immediate view of the future? What does this mean to your business right now? How big a problem is this? It's just insurmountable. Uh, you know, some people, I, 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 I didn't have a black, little black book. I didn't have phone no I could, I could I thought of starting to go somewhere this was before LinkedIn right I could have thought of okay I'm gonna let, uh, let's fire up Siemens and I'm dealing with Ali Cathcart let's see if I can find oh, Ali Cathcart gosh. and find her phone number I didn't have, I didn't have any of that so some people were calling you know so it wasn't complete correct but my whole everything just all of this support mechanism and all of this and so I had two days of just and, and I was relatively recently, three years, uh, remarried. And my uh, then darling ex-wife, uh, uh, now my darling ex-wife, my then wife, she had relocated across from the UK with me to the US. And I'm sitting there staring at nothing. And what did, what did you tell her? Happened, so, what, what did you tell her? I'm interested in how that conversation went. <laughs> I'll have to say she was, and always was, very, very supportive. I mean, she was the one who got me back up on my feet and told me to stop. You know, I needed to work my way through this. But, you know, the reality was that for about a year or 18 months, I had been, I was well aware of the fact 
that I was going to have to find a way to stop doing that work mm. because my heart was in this predictable success mm. model. And I'd kept talking about there's something here, there's something here that's much bigger and much more fulfilling than the other work that I was doing, which was a, a good work. And I sort of enjoyed it, but my heart wasn't there. Yeah. And in the end, this just completely accelerated that. I, I, I thought, okay, if I could start, if I'm going to put a huge amount of effort into something, I mean, an enormous amount of effort, do I want to do it rebuilding the sort of second string thing that I've been doing, or do I just want to make that pivot and do what I really want to do? And it was that, if, I, if that hadn't have happened, I don't believe that I would have the four books uh, that are behind me over my shoulder. I wouldn't have an Amazon bestseller. I wouldn't have a New York Times bestseller. I wouldn't have a USA Today bestseller. I wouldn't have a client list that I'm very proud of. I wouldn't be doing work that changes lives. Uh, So as with so many things, there was a cloud in there that was, uh, if not silver lining, it it was, you know, it wasn't all wet. So you were pushed out of the nest and forced to fly in a a very good way. And and how long of a period was it between the time when you were in the fetal position to when you finally realized, you know what? This isn't so bad. Actually, there's opportunity here. You know, before that silver lining shows up, it looks pretty dark. How long of a period was that before you got back on your feet? Oh, for me, it was probably about three, only about three okay. months. And that wasn't because I don't mean that in three months suddenly I was making money or far from it. It probably took about 18 months for me to get back to paying, you know, being able to make a living wage again. But I'm by nature what, in my terminology, I call a visionary leader. I, I think big things. I think big pictures. And if I do something, my heart is 100% mm-hmm. in it. So my lows are incredibly low. But once I make the mental decision, okay, enough of that. It's time to move on. I get very excited very yeah. quickly. So that momentum pulled me through. But it was probably about 18 months before I, you know, I, 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 I mean, I, I just was living off credit yeah. cards and it was probably about 18 months before I wasn't doing that anymore. Yeah. And was the bigger dream driving you through that period or was the the financial situation that you were in driving you through? What what did you keep your eyes on as you got through that that 18 months? What was driving you? Well, as any of our listeners uh, who uh, have been solopreneurs, you know, self-employed and only self-employed, um, you've got to actually be able to do both of those if you want to be really fulfilled. You've got to somehow hold them in tension. Uh, so I would say the two are uh, intimately linked. So I could have taken um, the, the, in the world I work in, which is essentially helping uh, senior leaders navigate through organizational changes. It, that world is populated a lot uh, by folks who have got a brilliant academic take on things. Uh, you know, there are some really good thinkers about organizational life cycles and stuff like that, which is the backdrop to what I do. If I hadn't had the financial imperative, I could have easily gone down that route of just being interested intellectually in the topic. But because I've been self-employed since I was 21, uh, I've always known that I've got to monetize what I'm doing. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I ended up with my first book, Predictable Success, being a bestseller, because I wrote it in a way that would be instantly accessible as opposed to trying to please, you know, fellow academics or, you know, with lots of footnotes mm. and, you know, caveats and reasons why this might be or might not be. I wrote a highly consumable book because I needed to do both. I wanted to fulfill my dream and I wanted to pay the bills at the same yeah. time. So the second time you find yourself in a fetal position, how, how different is that from the first? I'm, I'm captivated. Tell me about this. <laughs> it was, so I then started 
working full time at Predictable Success, the mid to late aughties, I really got this model, which don't forget had been gestating since I, my back of my serial entrepreneur days in my 20s and 30s. It's like at this point, there's like three decades have gone by. The model that I'm working on is just recognizing and putting terminology and vocabulary around what actually happens out there. I wasn't, you know, no interns were used or harmed <laughs> in the making of the predictable success model. I'm just keeping massive notes and, and uh, filtering out what is specific to one organization or another and coming up with these are the building blocks of growth. This is how you grow an organization mm -hmm. for profit or not for profit and putting vocabulary on it. By about 2000, late 2006, early 2007, I got it. The, the model is baked. I know it. it's sort of like I, I had one final thing I needed to work out and I got it worked out in my mind and it was like a capstone being put in place. Just I, I, Mentally, I heard this clunk mm. and I thought, that's it. I've got this holistic cradle to grave soup to nuts model for how organizations grow, survive, and sometimes, you know, do the right things, die. And that was it. So I had it. And at that point, you know, the, my intellectual curiosity has never gone away. I, I still discover new rich stuff, but none of the big primary moving parts are going to change. And I knew that. So I started talking about, you know, to write a book. It's time to write a book. And my same ex-wife, wonderful woman i'll underpin that but she got to the point where she finally said and there was a profanity in here which i'm not going to okay. use uh you can decide where she put the profanity she said les if you don't you could got a choice to do one of two things you can either write the book or you can stop talking about mm. it. one or the other but i'm not putting up with this anymore mm. one or the other stop talking about it all right i said okay all right but writing it was another, I'd done two books on commission before, but they were easy to do because I was told exactly what right. to write. And I just, I was basically a coffee, copywriter. This was the first time I was putting something out. And I thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I want, it's not a vanity project. I want it to be a bestseller, not just because I want it to be a bestseller, but because it's my life's work. Yeah. And, I, and I want it to genuinely make lives. And I don't want it to disappear after six months off the shelves. I want it to be an evergreen that will sell. Mm -hmm. Uh, for a long time. I had a model in my head, a, a friend of mine, a guy called David Allen, who wrote a massive bestseller called Getting yes. Things Done. And I wanted my book to be the getting things done of growth. To achieve that was going to be a considerable project. And I set two years aside to do it. And I had to pay the bills again <laughs> and doing all of that. So I had, to, I had to tell my clients, I knew I couldn't write a book. And the reason I've been, that my wife told me eventually to shut up was, I'm going to try to make a start. Time would give me a project. I'd have to do that. So I was going to have to shut this all down for two years, just right, and, and then market the book, which was an even bigger issue. So I put everything in place to write this book about how to grow a business. And the day after, I switched everything off client-wise, sent the email out, told everybody what was happening. Lehman Brothers collapsed. Oh. And I'm sure you remember what happened after yep. that. We hit the Great yep. Recession. Yep. <laughs> Nowadays, and you would just shut it all down. <laughs> looking back on it, and I'd shut everything. Oh my goodness! Down. And all I hadn't got a publisher at that point, but I did have an agent. And my agent, about two weeks later, I presume he was dealing with a lot of stuff. I called him, and uh, he said, "Les, you can't be serious. We're not going to sell a book on how to grow businesses in this climate. Mm. Not now. Not the rest of this year. Maybe the year after. We'll see." And I just, I'm looking around and I realized um, I'm now in the world's most out of sync project that's just not 
not relevant. Yeah. And that's that's when I thought, what you know, what it because again, as a visionary leader, my heart now was totally in that. It was sort of like, you know, you see a house you want to buy. It looks like it's going to be a beautiful home. You can picture bringing the kids up. Yeah. You visit it twenty-seven times. You put the bid in, and then somebody yanks the dream from under yeah. you. And I was devastated. I was absolutely, of course. There was a ton of other stuff going on that, you know, my, my, my woes were minimal compared to that, but it was a really, really, really tough time. And I had another fetal <laughs> incident and I had to, you know, everybody was telling me, let's just shelve it. You know, I mean, clients aren't going to care. They're going to understand, although everybody else was locking down and not buying consulting time anyway. I wasn't like, you know, I ended up thinking, I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah. I, I, if this book is good enough, it will it will get through this and ended up, I wrote it. I published it in the same time frame I was going to publish it on. It went straight into the New York, into the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller lists. And it's been selling steadily ever since. And had I pulled out of that at the time, I wouldn't be where I am. I'm interested in the timing of the book. Was the need to write the book so that predictable success could become a good program or was the need to write the book so that you could maybe have a firm foundational opportunity for others, people like me, entrepreneurs, business owners to really understand what was in it? Was the need to write the book something you needed to do or was it for the business? And did that drive your decision to just, I'm going to do this? Both undoubtedly both but again when you think about the point i made earlier where as a as a solopreneur it's the same you know any founder owner employees and staff but it's particularly acute as a solo entrepreneur if you don't do it you don't get no checks come in unless i do something Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so there's not a lot of you know i don't have a factory i'm not manufacturing something if i'm not doing something i don't get paid um and so i had to you have to monetize but you know if you want to be self if you want to be self uh, fulfilled you want to follow your dream so there was both of those i, I really i wanted a best-selling book i believed that the material i had was good enough for that i had admired a number of other people not just david allen but some other folks who were examples to me of what it meant to really write a book that would that would fundamentally change people that you know i wanted those emails i wanted people to email me as they do now every single week and say, I read your book. It's absolutely, I, do, I mean, the thing I get told more than anything else is, do you have a webcam in my office? Because mm. you just described exactly what we've been going mm. through. And that's applied to all four of the books that I've written. So I want, yeah, I wanted my ego, wanted all of that, but monetization was important as well. And without going into somewhat grubby details, but when you're in the world that I'm in, which is a sort of a coaching, consulting, speaker uh, model, for me, keynote speeches, where I still are, they've become virtual these days, but uh, that's a very large part of what I do. But there's um, a very specific uh, set of strata in the keynote speaking world, and that comes with fees attached. So there's a whole bunch of people in, you know, the zero to, I'm not going to put the, I'm going to say the numbers because it's a, it's just crass, but the whole bunch of folks who will do public speaking for zero to, you know, a fairly minimal figure. Sure. Then there's the vast majority of people who will speak for, you know, a reasonably good return. Then there are folks who are really good at what they do and they get a very good return. You want to break through that and you want to charge a very specific range of keynote fees, which I wanted to do. You've got to have, unless you're a celebrity, mm-hmm. unless you're a Kardashian <laughs> or an ex-military or ex-political, um, you've got to write a book 
that is acknowledged as you know well known in its field, and that helps you break through that yep. level. And as a confirmed solopreneur, um, the only way I can increase my revenue is to increase my per pop payment, whether it's per hour, per project, per keynote. And so I wanted to write the book to lift that lid, lid off the my keynote. Uh, fee. So it was a very mercenary reason on the one hand, but I wouldn't have done it just for that. And it would have been a somewhat different if it had been only that. I also, I wanted to write a bestseller that I was proud of. And I, I mean, if there was one thing that that, that uh, really has proved to me over the years that I did what I set out to do, and that makes me very, very happy, it is, it's those emails, uh, phone calls, people, you know, we ever get back to me standing up on a stage when I've finished speaking, coming back down and every time there's a line of people and half of them have just heard this for the first time and they want to know more and the other half have got their copy of predictable success in their hands yeah. that I nearly abandoned mm-hmm. and they're saying, this made my business. And isn't it amazing that you've, you you judge your success based on those folks telling you that this is, I, I needed this and you, you had your own reasons. I'm interested... At that point, and then we'll get to wrapping up here. I'm just so interested. I think I've turned my clock off. I hope that's okay. The There was a point when you were told either write it or talk about it. You can't do both. You were told by your agent, this can't work. This won't work. Turn it back on. You had made that decision. Did you think about giving up on the bigger picture? And did you think about taking the advice of just get this up and running? And what would have happened had you not stayed with the big picture? What do you think would have happened for you? Les McCown, with your level of grit, would you have just fought back and done it later? Or do you think it would have significantly changed where you are today had you not gone through and taken care of that dream of writing that book? Yeah, it's a great uh, question, Brian. I find it hard to answer because in retrospect, I just can't see me doing mm. it. I honestly can't. I can see the the, the one day, two day dilemma period in retrospect, I could not see. In fact, I, I had to do something that was somewhat more fundamental than than the the, the the version of the story that I've just told, which leaves one important thing out, which is I ended up having to let my agent go. I won't say fire him. That was not that wasn't that type of relationship. But he was a classical standard uh, agent, and he was trying to sell my book into standard classical publishing houses. Mm. Now, I've published uh, three books since with standard publishing houses, but I ended up saying, that's okay if you don't feel this is going to work. I do. I self-published Predictable Success. I self-published it. It meant me tripling my investment. I actually tripled down on the cash outgoings. Because the way traditional publishing goes is you actually get paid an advance tiny amount for a first-time author like me, but it would have been something, two and a half thousand, five thousand dollars mm-hmm. You get paid a little advance, and then they take on, they they print it, they market it, they sell it, and they give you a royalty. So if you're lucky, you get another $100 every quarter for the next X years. With self-publishing, you print it. You pay for the graphic design. You pay for the uh, setting up the print. You pay for, you know, editing. You pay for the whole Mm. thing. Now, I get to keep all the proceeds as a result. But the thing that makes me, you know, you asked me earlier on something that I wasn't able to answer, what makes me most proud about uh, previous stuff. What does make me really proud is, I set out to self-publish a book that nobody would look at ever and say, that's self-published. Predictable Success still is in my uh, self-published imprint. Great group of people, by the way, Greenleaf Publishing, if anybody else is thinking of doing it. Um, But it's self-published and it's a USA Today, Wall Street Journal bestseller. 
and it sells. I tell you, I get my, you know, across, but I get my royalty checks are an awful lot bigger yeah. than $100 a month, which is where I would have been if I had gone the traditional route. So that's a long way of saying, you know, I, I guess it's a great question, but I guess it's just the way some folks are wired. I could not see me. I, I, I mean, intellectually, what would have happened? I'd be putting along. I'd be one more, you know, consultant and a good yeah. one. But I, I just, in retrospect, can't imagine me not wow. doing it. I was very committed to it. It's so fantastic that you are a serial entrepreneur and you even were an entrepreneur in publishing your own book. And and, and the benefits and the, the, the success that you've been able to achieve because of that entrepreneur real spirit. Um, it's fantastic. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's a very good. good point. So, so what's what's next? What's on the horizon? I know you have uh, big dreams. Of course, a birthday party coming, but then 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 what? What do you see as the next hurdles that uh, <laughs> that you need to overcome as you move forward? It's a little fascinating. I, I, I foreshadowed it a, a few minutes ago when I was saying that as a uh, so I've I've, I've built uh, many big businesses. Those 42 that I talked about, two were failures. I learned a lot from them, but of the others, many of them became very large. I owned the, uh, every Pizza Hut in Ireland. Oh. I, I owned the, the Pizza Hut franchise in Ireland. Uh, you know, I've, I've owned and grown and run very large organizations, but I discovered a long time ago that in the world I'm now in, I can either help other people grow their organization or I can grow my own organ business. I can't do mm-hmm. both. I, 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 it's, it would like being the best, world's best golf coach and also um, uh, participating, competing every weekend. You couldn't do both, right? I'm the world's best golf coach in the world I work in, but I can't go out and compete every right. weekend. So I, I, I'm I'm a absolutely fervent solopreneur. I've got one assistant. His name is Blue, and he's lying <laughs> on the floor beside me, and he has no opposable thumbs and can't do anything useful. But that's about it. So. This is a, 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 a come to your question. One of the constrictions in solopreneurs is that uh, in an analog world, the only way that you can you know generate additional income is sell more days or hours, raise your prices. Um, and I'm getting to the point in my career where I love what I do. I could never see myself not doing it. I can't conceive of a something called retirement. But I don't want to be getting on airplanes or traveling long distances or taking on gigs just because I need to pay the bills. I want to do it because I love it and I enjoy it. And so I started before lockdown a plan to move uh, uh, most of what I teach online to build online courses. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm in year three of a one-year plan to do that. So that tells you just what way that's gone. (laughs) But I will say that the exciting thing is that Everything that's happened in the last four months, and, and I don't want to take away from the, the grief and horribleness of it all, but one thing that's very beneficial from my perspective is people want uh, and, and often have to consume online training and development, consulting and coaching. Now. And so that's that's helped accelerate it. So that's, my, that's where most of my attention is. I'm building uh, you know, great online. I'm, I'm surrounded by audio-visual equipment. My green screen's are over there. My, I've got my four cameras, three microphones, and I'm building all sorts of great online programs. So that's what I'm yeah, and, and so if there are folks out there listening that are entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit, hoping to get past that next step and clear those hurdles, someone like Les can be a, a service to you. And I'm wondering, Les, how would you like people to reach out to you? Is it through that program? Uh, how, how would they get in touch to learn more about you and what you do? Just go to predictablesuccess.com. All one word, predictablesuccess.com. That's all and there. I find it all. 
Les, I cannot thank you enough because I know that there are people out there that just think that successful people who have written the books and have run the companies and have the bio to prove it have just always been that. And they think they can't do it. And I think we would share to them that, no, you can, but you have to stand firm with that dream. Don't let anyone else tell you, yes, you can or no, you can't. You, you got to do it yourself, don't you? And, and, and I just really appreciate your story. And I thank you so much for being our guest on Dash of Grit. My pleasure, Brian. Bye, everybody. Before you leave, let me give you my quick commercial for Spire. We are Spire Advertising. And, and uh, if, if you are one of those entrepreneurs that's trying to get through the next step, sometimes uh, getting your brand right, getting your messaging right, getting the, uh, the opportunity to speak to the right folks is critical. And Spire can help you do that. So if you're interested in what we do, spiread.com is our website. And if you click the contact sales button, that's me. I'll answer fast and return right back to you. So this has been a dash of grit. I thank you so much. I'm Brian Lufflock, Director of Sales with Spire. Thank you to our guest, Les McCown from PredictableSuccess.com. We appreciate your listening to a dash of grit. It's an acquired taste in your recipe for success. And we'll do it again soon. This is a dash of grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things.